0: Welcome to Love This Food Thing podcast. I'm Gemma. This is the place where we explore our relationship with food, be it friend or foe, and how this affects our behaviour. Here's today's episode. Hi, welcome back to season seven finale with me. I'm not going to do that thing where I say, Hi, delighted to be on. Lovely to have you. Nice to see you. No, none of that. But what I'm going to endeavour to do is to answer some of your questions some of the topics that you sent in around eating disorder behaviors experiences body issues etc and for anyone who's new and joining the podcast for the first time i'd like to say welcome and that i'm not a psychotherapist and i'm not a coach i do work as an ed mentor but I have over 20 years of eating distor- eating disorders under my belt so to speak and I consider myself to be fully recovered in fact someone talked about what it is to be fully recovered I'm going to talk about that a little bit later so some of this stuff will resonate take what you need and ditch the rest and I think before I start I'd also like to say that when I finally finished therapy and started to really engage and live my life. I had zero, I cannot underline it more. I had zero zero desire to talk about anything eating disorder related because I was done, because that that's all I had done, done for years. So no one's more surprised than me when 3 years ago I set up the podcast where I now talk to guests about their relationship with food, be it friend or foe. And it's been incredibly interesting and inspirational and and healing f- for me to be in this position and to listen to people's stories and, and, and share my experiences. In actual fact, I haven't really spoken much about my own experiences. I have a little bit on other podcasts and I started to write about it. And I think this is my kind of going to go in this direction. Um... It's a little bit like going back to a town that you once knew that you kind of wanted to leave and you go back years later and they've built a new ring road and they've put apartment blocks up everywhere and the routes that you knew so well have completely changed and you get to the town and you're like, this is completely unrecognisable. It feels a little bit like that for me with the let's call it the eating disorder world community, because it's it's big, isn't it? There are lots of people suffering and there's a an industry seemingly behind it and uh, trying to hold it and support people that certainly wasn't there when I was in the depths of all that stuff. Okay, so this is going to be like a kind of unplugged acoustic set. I've thought about what I'm going to say but i'm a, a fan of kind of what comes in and going with it on the day which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't it's like singing a set with unseen songs to sing so how do i set my stall out i think i'm going to set my stall out by saying that my baseline is that eating disorders are physical manifestations of internal distress or disease disease i fall into this category Having said that, there are notable exceptions. Those with ARFID, which is Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. And those people who would consider themselves as neurodivergent with differing, varying shades of autism and ADHD. That's not me. So, yeah, I'm sticking to the manifestation of our our pain out there so that we don't have to deal with what's in here. And bear with me if I paint broad brushstrokes and I will endeavour to use the language that um, everyone has become used to. I don't always agree with common mental health parlance. I think it can be very sterile and um, sometimes oppressive, but I will endeavour to walk the middle line. Okay, so let me start with the first. This is in no particular order. And also, thank you to the people who wrote in. I'm not going to mention your names. I'm going to read out what you wrote to me and then I'm going to break it down and try and offer you some of my experiences and insight. Um, Yeah, so here we go. So the first one is you can hear my paper here. I'd love to hear about your experiences with telling other people about your eating disorder, especially when it comes to dating. Well, first up, Bear with me, rusting the paper. First up, when I had, when I was in my eating disorders, I didn't do any dating. I couldn't bear the thought. Oh no, I did. I did. I'm lying. I didn't date anyone who I really wanted to date. I dated people who were more broken than me. Um and made out that I was very sorted and confident and on top of everything. And it was another way that I had of distancing myself from people and from keeping people away because because I kind of took a superior position in that sense. So my dating was limited. And then when I was really immersed in my recovery, the thought of having a relationship with anyone else was, impossible. I could barely have a cup of tea with anyone, but certainly as building a a physical relationship and being intimate and being emotionally intimate was way beyond what I could manage. And at the time, way back then, which I always, I struggle a bit to, to fully remember. Yeah. I just concentrated on the relationship with myself and trying to stop my physical behaviors. So I was diagnosed with bulimia and anorexia. I was like late middle stages of anorexia when I was much younger. And then I was incredibly bulimic for years. I overexercised. I abused laxatives. I, you would now probably say that I was orthorexic. I mean, I'm sure there's all sorts of labels you could give me, but I was obsessed with getting rid of food not eating over exercising the, the pursuit of that goal always of of being thin and which is yeah which is just rubbish isn't it but that i think that was the main external narrative being thin to fit in then i could start my life uh concentrating on everything out there rather than obviously what was going on here because that was far too painful so uh as, as far as dating went mm I didn't really date and yeah, it just wasn't an issue. So then this person goes on to say, what is a good balance between opening up about an illness but still not letting it take up all of your identity? I haven't really told my friends about my illness yet because I'm afraid that this will become the only thing they remember about me. Although, even though nothing actually ever changed, I'm somehow convinced that I will get better soon. So, there's actually no need to tell them. Okay, let's break this down. Good balance between opening up about an illness, but still not letting it take up all of your identity. I would ask yourself why you want to open up about your illness. Is it because you want some support? Is it because, in a funny sort of way, you're saying, I'm really wounded, so go gently with me. Is it because you feel inauthentic? And I'm also interested in the friends that you have. You'll have a history already with the friends. Do you need to tell anybody? I don't know. It depends if you have a support network around you. I didn't tell anybody. I had one friend who I used to confide in who, interestingly, used to overeat. He was quite big and he never judged me. I think that was the really important part. Other people were horrified. I even used to sit in therapy. It took me a long time to open up in therapy and I never really said everything that I, I don't know, wanted to say in therapy about all my food stuff. But I'll go back to that in in a little minute. So, yeah, why do you need to open up about your illness? Why do you need to have people on board? Is it because you haven't told anybody? It sounds as though you're sort of doing it on your own because I'm somehow convinced that I will get better soon. Well, that's great. So there's actually no need to tell them. Yeah, I think it's also about this thing about disclosure, isn't it? That the more you tell someone, the closer you are to someone. I'm not sure that's actually true. I'm not sure that that's the definition of intimacy. So I haven't really told my friends about my my illness. So does that mean it's unseen? I'm afraid that this will become the only thing they remember about me. Do they not see you anymore? Do you think they're just going to hone in on that one One bit of you because you are so much more than your illness, because you're calling it an illness, so I'm going to too. And it isn't just your identity, because there's so many other facets of you and parts of you that make up you. It's like having a couple of outfits in the wardrobe that you wear a lot. I would start to think of it like that. And I guess if you have some sympathetic people around you and you think they'd be supportive and it wouldn't rock their world if you told them, then yeah, why not? I was taught by a first therapist to kind of test the water, retelling people. Yeah, and maybe that's part of recovery that you want to open up a little bit and include people on your journey. And I think that can be very healing and helpful. It can also go the wrong way because... Not everybody can bear that kind of disclosure or level of intimacy. I think particularly around food disorders, because they're like, what do you mean? Why are you doing that? How ridiculous. So, yeah, I was very closed. I'm quite a private person um, and I still keep my own counsel and am very independent today so that was within my personality anyway. I think, as far as bulimic behavior goes, bulimia is very much about being private and not not having anyone else see what's going on because it's something you certainly don't do it in public, what well, you might do it in public behind a closed door, but you do it behind closed doors, it's secretive, it's yours, it's um I think probably the same with binging. I haven't come across anybody and certainly not myself, who would binge publicly. You do those in secret. Anorexic behaviour, you do publicly. Because it's very clear when someone's losing weight and they're going past a point of like, ah, okay, something's going on with that person. That's quite an interesting one. That kind of anorexic mentality of wanting to be seen, but also not wanting to be seen. But I think the bulimic mentality is about, oh yeah, everything's great, everything's fine on the outside, all singing, all dancing, and inside you're going, oh my God, I can't cope. So is this what's going on with you? Is that why you say, I'm somehow convinced I will get better soon, so there's actually no need to tell them? I would sit with that last bit, because actually I think that's what, I think that's the interesting bit. I would sit with that and think, what is it that you want to tell a mythical someone why do you think there's no need to tell anyone about your experiences? Is it something that you need to work on yourself and then share with people at a later date? So I wouldn't have been able to talk about any of this stuff back then. It's only with the luxury of hindsight and time and distance that I can sit here and witter, witter away. Um, and you know what? Your friends are your friends. and it certainly won't be the only thing that they remember about you. So I wouldn't worry on that score. Re a good balance and opening up. You open up as you feel able, as you feel strong enough. So yes, this therapist, I got distracted. This therapist taught me to, to test the water. So a little bit at a time, you test, you reach out, you put a toe in the water. Mm, how does that feel? And it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a feeling experience. It's not like a, an intellectual process or pursuit. So you might test it with someone, a friend, on, a, on another subject that maybe you have feelings around and, and see how they are with, with that particular subject. Put your feelers out very slowly. And if you are kidding yourself that you're getting better, don't kid yourself reach out and get some support. Just before I move on to the next question, I met my husband when I was 38. I'm not sure how long it took me to tell him about my ED stuff. I think I drip-fed it. He didn't really know the full extent of it until, yeah, until we were married. He was like, oh my God, what have I got into? But no, I'm kidding. But it, was, it wasn't something that I necessarily wanted to talk about and share um i don't know maybe he'd have a different take on all of that so yeah i hope that i hope that helps uh, I, I think that um yeah I, I think that's it message me again if you like no no i wanted to, to know about this and i'll try and answer okay so the second Second question I have here is I'd love you to speak upon your experience of eating disorder recovery and veganism. So, I was never in an eating disorder unit, and I know uh, from speaking to other people that it's very much about weight restored, which is one of my least favorite phrases of all the mental health parlance weight restored. Uh, And I know that it's about three meals a day and two snacks and this amount of carbohydrate and protein and fat, et cetera, et cetera. And that you, to recover, particularly if you've stopped eating and you've restricted your food and you are nutritionally deficient, that to recover, in quotation marks, you have to eat everything. Um, mm, Can you do vegetarian recovery programs and eating disorder units? Maybe you can now. I'm not sure you can do vegan eating disorder recovery programs so when i was 18 i became a vegetarian that's about 200 years ago and it was for ethical reasons it also looking back it also fitted in with the kind of beginning of me starting to really narrow down my food options now i've i haven't eaten meat since and I don't eat meat for moral and ethical reasons, as I've just said, and I have no wish to be part of that industry. But I can't deny that it was helpful to do that. I was also a, a, a kind of on an arts course and um, everyone was vegetarian. So it was kind of like a cool thing to do as well. So th- that's one thing. But a vegetarian diet is probably easier to manage than a vegan diet. And I have had. Periods in my life when I have been vegan, I tend to eat a plant-based diet now. But there are caveats. I am postmenopausal, and my body sometimes wants fish. That's not vegan, is it? Neither is it ethical, neither is it moral, if I was to stand up and argue about my vegetarian reasons, reasons for being vegetarian. But I do. And so I sit with the contradiction. I'm not very happy about it but I do have some fish because sometimes my body wants fish. I also might have, I have eggs, but I buy them from a certain place and I know that they are what you would call happy hens. So I'm not a vegan. I try to buy ethically and responsibly, etc. So I, I guess I pertain towards veganism, but my diet isn't completely vegan, even though it has been. I also know quite a lot about nutrition and cooking, and I cook quite a lot. I think if you are vegan, you need to know about food. You need to know what's nourishing and what works in your body. If you are recovering and you're vegan, you need to know where your deficiencies are. I don't know if you have been anorexic and you're now choosing to be vegan while you recover because I would say that you're gonna need to be organized and to eat really well. And when I say well, I mean in a nourishing way so that you have the best vegetables, the best oils, the best pulses and nuts and seeds and tofu and you learn how to work and create beautiful meals out of all these foods. If you are vegan, and underneath it, you're kidding yourself that this is just another way of selecting your food. Then I would have a look at that. Maybe you can veer off the vegan path for a little while and then maybe you can come back to it. Because vegan a vegan diet compared to the you know, most of the world's diet, it's restrictive. There's no judgment on that, but it is restrictive. So if you've come from a, a place of restriction to then move to another place of restriction, I think it's worth Exploring. So, you need to know why. Yeah. And you need to really know how to look after yourself with food. And also, there's lots of, I mean, there's the availability of vegan food or vegetarian food. Although I'm a big fan of a whole food, as natural diet as possible. I mean, you can get just about everything, can't you? Having said that, the supermarkets have also taken over with a lot of vegan food. And so it's also highly processed. So, yeah, but certainly when I was recovering, I moved through various restrictive dietary plans. So I was... A raw foodie for a while, which is really bloody hard in Northern Europe in the winter and impossible. Of course, I fell off the wagon many times and I was gluten free and I was dairy free and I was everything. And now I find that the choices that I make around food are because of how they make me feel. So Um, Yeah, I was also born with eczema and I was born with a a sort of dairy intolerance. So, you know, dairy-free, I kind of follow that. But that's not for any sort of eating disorder reasons. I would also say that what doesn't get discussed is the intention with which we all eat. And how we imagine the food or the energy of that food... There's a huge difference from an apple. You pick off a tree, energetically wise, to an apple that you'd buy wrapped up in cling film in the supermarket. There just is. But also it's with the intention that you eat. As you put the food in, as you're eating the food, are you celebrating it? Are you grateful for it? Are you thinking this is nourishing, this is wonderful, I'm so lucky that I can eat, I'm so lucky that food is plentiful and available, I'm so lucky that I can choose to eat all these amazing foods, vegan foods, that are healing rather than harmful, because if you're eating, if you're killing something to to eat it, then you're harming, you might not be harming yourself, but you're certainly harming something else, some other, other sentient being. But yes, the intention, and I think possibly what also happens is that we're disconnected from our food. So we see it in terms of fats and carbohydrates and proteins, and this is good for you and this is bad for you and all that rubbish. And then we eat it with those thoughts and we miss the whole point of eating and celebrating food and what it is to, and I'm going to use that word probably a few times, to nourish ourselves on all levels. So I would have a think about how you feel about certain foods and, yeah, those feelings in your your body when when you think about foods. And I know people say that we eat with our eyes and our imagination. Of course we do. But there is something deeper than that going on when we eat. If you were in a forest and you were sitting down and You'd been in the forest all day and you had your, I don't know, your food in front of you and you were by a fire. You would eat very differently, wouldn't you? We all would, of course we would, than if we were on the run halfway through the day and running for the bus or whatever. So it's all about intention as well. What do you intend with the food? I hope that helps you. But yeah, don't kid yourself that you're vegan um, just so that you can restrict your food, which is exactly what I did many years ago. But now I I choose to eat for for very different reasons, certain foods. Okay, so I hope that's helped. Moving moving on. This is a long one. I think a lot of people will will relate to this. What if you feel stuck in your ED thoughts? You want to recover, but recovery feels unattainable. Mm -hmm. The force behind the ED feels too strong and engaging. The fear of being bigger, in quotation marks, is overwhelming and relinquishing control, unbearable. Even though you've been to therapy and you know and understand and acknowledge your ED, the battle and fear to overcome it seems utterly frightening. I think that's a finish on that bit. Yeah, what if, what if you feel stuck in your ED thoughts? Um, I think this person is at a certain stage of recovery, probably further on. You're probably further on and you realise or give yourself credit for. Uh, Yes. I mean, thoughts are things. Thoughts can be changed. It takes practice and discipline. So if you have an ED thought, I don't know what that ED thought is, but that thought, then be vigilant. And when it comes up and swims around in your brain or wherever your thoughts are, probably in your headspace, have a counter thought and challenge that thought. So if it's, oh, if I eat this, I'm going to get bigger. You could change it to, if I eat this, I'm going to enjoy it. That's a bit of a stretch. My point is, is that the mindset, the eating disorder mindset needs to be challenged. And you have to dismantle it. And it takes time. And it takes practice. And it takes commitment. And the ED narrative or the ED narratives that you've employed, you know, almost like run a kind of physical groove in your brain, like a a neural pathway. And you have to build new neural pathways, new connections. So electricity can fire from one point to to the next, that builds a new story. So I would write down your ED thoughts, the ones that threaten you and make you feel that recovery is unattainable i would write them down write it down like a story write it down in a list however or paint it whatever your creative thing is or sing it or or whatever that is and then write a counter story in fact that we have that in our um creative recovery accelerator one of the exercises write a better story So your aim is not to necessarily change the thought. The aim is to have a better thought and go gently and easily, just a slightly better thought. As in, I don't know, you have that thought and you go, oh, right, here you are again. Okay, lovely to see you. Off you go. Start to be a little bit detached from it and not so caught up in the story and the power of the eating disorder So the force behind the ED feels too strong and engaging. What is that force? What are those feelings that your eating disorder behaviours were trying to protect you from? This is why I'm thinking you might be further along the way with recovery than you realise because you might be getting closer to the pain, to the wound. Because you're beginning to dismantle your eating disorder defences. Does that make sense? You're getting closer and you're finding that you're in that push me, pull you, which maybe some time back you wouldn't have been able to, um, you wouldn't have been able to withstand. So my experience of recovering from my eating disorders and eating disorder behaviours was when I isolated the behaviours and I explored them. And I, you know, it's that whole metaphor of the onion, isn't it? You peel off the layers layers, and it's it's difficult. It's really uncomfortable unbearable sometimes because you are taking a plaster off a wound and you don't rip it off all at once so yeah I would that the force behind the ED I think that's your your pain and what you've been trying to protect and what's happened is that it's been converted into being bigger so demonizing one's relationship with food demonizing one's relationship with one's ones one's body you know you've physicalized it you physicalized that 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 pain and that trauma and that and that fear and i think what you are talking about is fear because you mentioned it a few times the fear of being bigger well again what does being in quotation marks because that's how you wrote bigger what does that mean what does it mean to be bigger does it mean that you're going to struggle because physically you're going to look a bit different does it mean that you're bigger and you're going to start to feel things really feel things and how will you how will you handle that how will you stay grounded while you feel things not just the big emotions the rage the shame the disappointment the the sadness all the other little things, the boring things of life. I was talking about this on a podcast with uh, Liv from Live Label Free. Um, you know, all just all the crap that we have to deal with, the boredom and the and the the disappointment and the rejection and, and just all the stuff of life. It's like, how do we deal with it all? And I think what's important to remember is that when you're when you're busy with your eating disorders, you can keep all that stuff at bay. But as you start to dismantle all your eating disorder stuff, being very generic, broad brush strokes, you are left with a vessel that is you and slowly you begin to fill up. And that feels painful and it feels difficult. And as I said before, you go slowly and you go easily and you work out what it is about relinquishing control feels unbearable. Absolutely, doesn't it? You feel so vulnerable. And so unable to cope, is that the fear? I remember strongly having those fears when I was a teenager. I had lots of rituals and OCD type behaviors, I guess they'd be called today. It was all about managing fear. My eating disorder stuff was all about managing fear. A couple of other things which I'll touch on. And I went for a walk on the beach this morning and I felt anxious. And it's a, it was a beautiful morning. I thought I've been feeling anxious for about a week, two weeks. And what's different is that I'm like, ah, I'm feeling anxious again. Okay. Is it anxiety or is it just this feeling that I have in my solar plexus, in my chest? Yeah, that's what I'm going to call my anxiety. Well, you know what? It's going to pass it's not going to be there forever. Maybe it's got something to do with the work I'm doing at the moment, speaking about things I haven't normally spoken about. Maybe it's another layer. It's another layer from my unconscious kind of coming up into my body and it will be transmuted out when it wants to leave. Whereas 15, 20 years ago, of course, I would have been restricting my food, throwing up, overexercising, etc. So hold on tight. When the fear is overwhelming and those thoughts are overwhelming and the ED feels too engaging, hold on tight and sit it out. And if you can do something and be still like breathing or meditation, work out where that energy sits in your body. Forget the thoughts, okay? Your mind's going to think a trillion things, that's what it does. Forget the thoughts and sit and be still. And ground yourself and just breathe, just breathe in and out and think, "Mm, where is that fear? Where is that force? Is it behind me? Is it outside of me? Is it in my right leg? And just be with it. And don't worry about it. Don't judge it. Just let it be. Maybe you can write about it afterwards and, and make some notes. Just sit in it. And I would say, breathe through it. You can just breathe in for four. You can hold your breath for two, breathe out for four, breathe in for six, hold your breath for three. There's all sorts of breathing exercises. It's like releasing layers of trauma, isn't it? And yeah, practice, yes, practice relinquishing control in other areas of your life. So begin to develop that muscle and practice being flexible in other areas of your life. Forget the eating disorder stuff. Look at where else you fear being bigger. Do you fear being a bit more successful? Do you fear having more friends? Do you fear having more things to do? My goodness, that was a big thing for me. Being overwhelmed by stuff to do and having people take up my time. I still struggle with that. But where can you be flexible? Where is it easy and gentle to to practice that muscle? So that when those big, scary thoughts come along and you feel you are driven by something outside of yourself and powerless, you're like, actually, I've got this a bit more than I thought I did have. Do you see what I mean? It's not just around food and and your exercise. And mm, maybe take the words fear and bigger out of what you wrote to me and put and just change that and make it positive. So, yeah, I might, um, mm, let me see what I think about that. Okay, yeah, I had to to pause then to see what I was going to say. I would say, write another story, write a really strong counter story. So what if you feel stuck in your ED thoughts, you want to recover, but recovery feels obtainable. Write this, it's going to feel like a stretch, okay? I no longer feel stuck in my eating disorder thoughts. I want to recover and recovery feels attainable. The force behind my recovery feels too strong and engaging not to. I'm just making this up, so bear with me. I willingly let go of my fear of being bigger. Bigger means better. My fear of being bigger is no longer overwhelming and relinquishing control feels bearable. Now, that's not very brilliant, but you see what I'm doing. I did put some negatives in there, like don't. It's see if you can change that little part of the story to make it more positive. And then have a read of it and see if you can work, work with it. I would also say that even though you now understand and have some cognitive understanding through therapy of your eating disorder, Uh, understand it's not an intellectual process as I said earlier it's an experiential process so you don't think yourself better well you do a little bit just contradicting myself you feel better it's about feeling different it's about feeling well it's not about just stopping behaviours because there's lots of people who stop their behaviours and will still feel like they're in the grip of an eating disorder And don't worry about it being so frightening because it's everything that you've kept at bay that is coming up for air and needs some attention. And it will feel frightening. But don't worry about it. Breathe through and with the fear. Okay, so that leads me on to someone saying quasi-recovery would be an interesting topic to talk about So, I think I've just touched on that quasi recovery, halfway there, quarter away there, living, not really living, still adhering to a strict diet plan, as in what I can, what I can't eat. I don't mean on a diet. Still struggling to connect, to communicate, to. Let go of the rules that you've set down for yourself. Struggling to be flexible, struggling to be spontaneous. To live an easy life. I'm really keen on things being as easy as possible. Quasi-recovery. I think a lot of people get... um, I'm going to make a judgment now, but there are probably a fair few people out there who will set themselves up as an expert and when they're not fully recovered. And you can't always see that and you can't always tell that. You get to a point in your recovery where you think, oh, this is fantastic. I've got this nailed. I get it. No more. Don't need to do any more. Brilliant. And actually, there's also that thing about I'm still in recovery 15 years later. I'm not someone who says that. I never even talk about recovery. I didn't really talk about it back then. Maybe I should have done. Maybe it would have been easier. If it works for you to say, I'm in recovery for the rest of your life, then you go for it. Because whatever helps in my book is is the way to go. But also quasi-recovery would be when people aren't really better. And they haven't really done the work. And I do think, I know psychotherapy isn't for everybody. And I think psychotherapy is very much dependent on the relationship that you have with a the therapist or any manner of psychotherapies. I think that eating disorders are, and I've talked about this, I'm starting to write about it, are existential crises because you have to eat to survive So if you start to interfere with your relationship with food and your body, underpinning that, fundamentally underpinning that, whatever you present to the outside world, is the question, what am I doing here? Who am I and what am I doing here? So Socrates talks about the unexamined life. The unexamined life isn't worth living. So in a very beautiful way and a very clever way, although it won't feel like it, your eating disorder is like a a tool for healing because when you unpick it and you explore it, you find out who you really are and you get the opportunity to like, I don't know, I've got this image of a phoenix from the ashes of like rising up with all that knowledge and experience and pain and healing and feeling and you're this you're like whoa here i am i have examined myself i have examined my life and this this is who i am and this is this is why i'm here you know you don't have the confusion you have clarity so i think quasi recovery is also about stopping and not doing that not deep diving You've got a deep dive to get better. Yeah? Really? I always used to say that recovery isn't for the faint-hearted. And I think the longer you've been in the ED zone, the longer it's gone on for, possibly the harder, the, the deeper the habits are ingrained and the the ways of thinking, the mindset, the lifestyle. Mm, probably, uh Yeah. Maybe a bit more challenging to turn it all around. Maybe not. Maybe not. So, yeah, quasi-recovery, quasi-recovery. And listen, yes, the last thing I want to say about that is listen to yourself. Be your own person. And if something resonates with you, then go with that. But don't be swept up by everybody else it's okay to find your own way and it's okay to have your own experiences that are unique to you and what you what you think and what you believe because there will be people listening to this going what on earth is she going on about and that's okay because this is my and my beliefs and my feelings and my experiences and that's okay so yeah dig deep quasi recovery dig deep and and be your own person and yeah, maybe you can be someone who doesn't have to say I'm in recovery or I'm fully recovered, or maybe it's just something in the past, but you find your own way. And that's going to lead on to another question, which was, how do I know when I'm fully recovered? And without being dismissive, I would say, how do I know when I am fully recovered? I would say when I no longer feel wounded. And within that, of course, is a dissertation and a PhD. But when you, when you feel different, when you feel joyful and loving and happy and content, when you are not acting out your stuff around food and your body and exercise, when you are less compare and contrast with other people, that's such a big thing, isn't it? such a big thing. I did so much of that. I still do it, but it doesn't matter because it's kind of normal. It's all right. It's not a, it's not a massive amount. When you realize that you can, depending on what your eating disorder kind of habits, behaviors were, that you can be spontaneous and flexible when you, ah, when it's like you do a 180, it's like you turn the egg timer up the other way and you kind of can't remember it i can't remember a lot of the awfulness and the pain all those years ago and i really did think i'd never leave it it did feel impossible and the ed force as in the previous topic did feel overwhelming so that's how you know when you're recovered when you no longer think about it. I would never think about being bulimic now or restricting my food or over-exercising or any of that stuff because it just doesn't come into my, to my world in that way. If I'm in pain, I'm in pain and I'll deal with it. I certainly won't go and act it out with, with food or exercise or any of the other things that I used to do. Yeah, and I think also, how do I know when I'm fully recovered, is when you can be your own counsel and when you can put your arms around yourself and go, do you know what? I love you and I am all right. So whatever it is that makes you think that you aren't recovered, it's the opposite of that. I hope that makes sense okay i'm going to wrap up soon goodness me i've been talking for ages um hearing yes i think people love hearing about purpose beyond the eating disorder came from a certain person yeah that goes back to my feelings around eating disorders being terrific healing tools if you are supported and and helped to to recover from from that lifestyle, because it is a lifestyle. Goodness me, it's a 100% commitment. It's like a full-time job without getting paid while you slowly destroy yourself because that's what happens if you don't eat or get up to all the things that people with eating disorders do. So you have this wealth of information about yourself um, and this this uh, new emotional body, this new feeling body. I don't mean your physical body, I mean body in, generically. And yeah, it's up to you what you do post an eating disorder. Do you want to forget it and move on and never talk about it again? If that works for you, then great. Do you want to use your experiences and help others? You probably will be a very compassionate, empathetic, great listener. A wonderful person to your to your friends and your loved ones to have around, if when you are fully fully recovered, and so available for other people, because you will have, you will have been in the gutter, you know, and you will have experienced life in its shadow shadow state. Things can get very very dark, so you will have a great appreciation for that. I imagine that you will. Spread that without even knowing it. Purpose beyond the ED. Well, if you view an eating disorder uh, as, as as a way of informing yourself about you and your life and as a way of evolving your consciousness. It depends on your belief system. But I believe that we're all in it together. And that one of my reasons for being here on this planet is to evolve my consciousness and therefore be part of raising up everyone else's consciousness. I don't mean that in a aren't I brilliant sense. I mean that in a very, that's what we're here to do sense. So it's up to you. Purpose beyond the ED. The purpose is to live your life and have a terrific time. That's what the purpose is, I think. But it really does depend on your belief system, like I just said. And if you have new insights and new understandings, then yeah, share them. Write about them, talk about them, help others. I always say that if you're healed and if you're recovered, as you lift yourself up, kind of by osmosis, you lift up someone else. And I think that's also the point of being here on this planet. And if you feel that you want to be of service and help others in a similar situation, then that's yeah, that's terrific too. Dog's going crazy. Okay, just sorted the dog out. Where was I? Yes. So, tools for healing, tools for uh, gaining clarity and wisdom and insight. Use your experiences for 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 your for your wellness and and um, to inform you about life and just to live this this wonderful life because we fight to get here and it's a fight to survive particularly when you're just a, a little spermazoa or whatever whatever you are or a couple of chromosomes or however many you had to fight to get here so take responsibility for coming here and maybe consider that you chose you chose to come here and you chose this life and you chose your eating disorder eating disorder behaviors however you want to call them for a reason and that was to inform yourself about things that you needed to know. Well, I hope this has helped. I didn't expect to speak this long. I'm going to go now. But yeah, if you want to come on and talk on the podcast and debate anything and go, no, that's ridiculous. Can't believe you said that. Then do come on because we're going to have another season quite soon, a few months. and Or, or, or message or whatever. So yeah. That's, uh, this has been my acoustic experiment. Oh, I'm just going to do my five favourite foods. Okay, watercress, chickpeas, dal, tofu, ready salted crisps, dry roasted peanuts, green beans. If you'd like to learn more about the mission we're on today and who we help. Simply head to lovethisfoodthing.com to see all the details.